Hi, this is Jim Swilly. Welcome to Metron Live. Metron is a Greek word that means sphere of influence. I believe in living your best life possible, and that's the reason for this podcast. This is my Metron. Now let me help you discover yours. Let's make some affirmations. Uh, I am blessed. I am a blessing. I am. I am whole. I am wholeness. I am. I am free. I am freedom. I am. When I point to me, I say it. When I point to you, you say it. Uh, I am peaceful. I am peace. I am. Um, I am liberated. I am liberty. I am. I am well. I am wellness. I am. Beautiful. Uh, give me a few uh, breaths so we can get on the same page because I, I really want you to hear deeply. Let he or she who has a, an ear hear what the Spirit says this morning. Okay? Um, we're going to go in through the nose, hold it, and out through the mouth. Simple meditative technique. We get more in-depth uh, into it when we're uh, at the meditation weekend retreats. But uh, breath and spirit, spirit and breath, same thing. Let's go. In. Hold. Out. Beautiful. In. Hold. Out. Inhale. Exhale. In. Beautiful. Beautiful. Love the synergy of the affirmations with the breath work. It's a it's a it's a beautiful combination to get you ready to uh, hear what I'm about to uh, say. So, let's get into it. I speak into this atmosphere. Let there be light. And I declare the spirit of the Lord God is upon me to preach liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Um, I've probably, I think it's probably safe to say that in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, I've probably ministered out of the third chapter of Genesis more than any other chapter in the Bible. I mean, there's some other, I mean, Romans 8 would be up there in the top two or three. Um, I have certain sort of go-to passages that I refer to a lot, as as every minister does. Uh, but Genesis, actually Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are kind of the, the thesis of the whole Bible. Like when you were in school and they taught you how to write a paper, a dissertation or a term paper, a well-written paper will, like the opening sentence will... Um, uh, explain what the paper is going to be about. Like you, that's called your thesis, and you will you will state that, and then the body of your paper is proving that point or elaborating on that. A well-written paragraph is the, written that way. Usually, it's like the first sentence of a uh, paragraph is is really the like if you write really well, you could just. You could take the rest of the paragraph out and just put the first sentence of every paragraph and it would still make sense. So um, even though the Bible is most definitely not a book, uh, it's a um, uh, it's a collection of books. It's the Greek Tabiblia or the Spanish Bibliotheque. It's a library. But if you look at it as a, a, a composite, a, a work of um, many different authors, which is what it is, um, I would call Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 the thesis of the whole thing. It's like it sets out the whole, and I, I don't think it was literal. I believe the earth is older than 6,000 years, and, and that just keeps getting proven more and more. I mean, you just can't argue with it. It's true. Science and spirituality are not at odds with one another. Uh, and even if you know how to read Genesis, uh, clearly Adam and Eve were not the first people. Uh, because uh, 
there was somewhere that their son came, found his wife, and he went to a place called Nod. There was a land that had a population in it, and uh, when he was marked because of the murder of his brother Abel, he said the other peoples of the earth will recognize this mark and ostracize me for it. So not only were there other lands, there was culture, there were people that he knew about. It's just that when, assuming Moses wrote it, when Moses begins the narrative, he begins from the from the Jewish perspective of God's covenant, he begins with an, an Adam and an Eve, and um, you know Paul in New Testament theology sort of rounds that out with the concept of the last Adam. So he talks about the first Adam and the last Adam. If you understand anything about ultimate reconciliation, that's Pauline theology 101. Paul was a universalist. He said, you know, all were lost in Adam, all were found in Christ. He told that to the Romans and to the Corinthians. And you see that thought, uh, you know, that thread all through his uh, teachings and his writings. Um, of that thesis, uh, chapter 3 is, in my mind, the most important. Now, I refer a lot to Genesis 1, 26 and 27, where, and, and at this point, um, the, the writing is not uh, monotheistic. Uh, not until Abraham came along did he talk about one God. When Moses wrote, he talked about uh, the Elohim, and it's God's plural. And um, that's why that's why when it gets translated into English, it uses plural pronouns. Let us make man in our image. There seems to be a council in the same way that like in Greek mythology or Roman mythology, you would see that the gods would come together and discuss certain people on the earth. You see that in the very early uh, Hebrew writings as well. And then Abraham comes along as the really first monotheist and says, uh, they're all the same. All all those gods, plural, are the same. I don't want to get in the weeds on that. That's a different topic. But I just want you, want you to understand, when he, he, there's not a God who says, let me make man in my image. It's let us make God in our image. So Elohim is plural. There's no, there's no getting around that. That's not, that's not some new fancy theology. That's, you know, that's old school truth, eternal truth. And um, in chapter 3 is the result of after, uh, well, it's, 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 it's the um, genesis, if you will, of the, the fall of man. And um, it begins, chapter 3 begins with saying the serpent was more subtle than any of the creatures in the uh, garden. In chapter 2, God had brought the animals to Adam to see what he would name them, whatever God called them is what... Uh, okay, there it is. Sorry, it went out a little bit. I, I moved over. Uh, yes, it's free. It was freezing, Linda. It, it, uh, I lost the connection for a minute. Um, all right, y'all settle down. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to work it out. Anyway, I, I turned on the Wi-Fi. The reason I turn off the Wi-Fi is so, it's, it's fine in, in my own unit downstairs. But when I get up here and, and all the... Yes, I know it's freezing. I'm, I'm working on it. Um, uh, when um, I'm up here, it tries to log on to everybody else's uh, Internet. And that's why... Um, anyway, I'm, I'm back. So if it does it again, I'll, I'll figure out an alternative. All good. Uh, anyway, I was saying, um, it says the serpent was more subtle than any of the creatures in the uh, in, in the garden. And so um, the serpent, and I've taught on this ad infinitum, the serpent comes to Eve and says, because um, in chapter 2, uh, the creator or creators take uh, the rib out of Adam and create uh, Eve. <clears throat> of course, we know that's not where people actually come from. It's a spiritual metaphor. When you try to literalize Genesis and Revelation, you really create a lot of crazy stuff, which is where the insanity of fundamentalism comes from. It's These are spiritual metaphors that people have tried to literalize, and it, uh, it, it it's just... Um, it creates insanity. Um, so, um, 
in chapter 3, it says, um, the, the end of chapter 2 says, they were naked and they were not ashamed. In chapter 3, it says that uh, the serpent came to them. And so Eve says to the serpent, um, because uh, the serpent says, uh, if you eat of this, uh, you'll you'll die. So I'm, somewhere I'm, I'm getting the narrative mixed up. I, I just read it a few minutes ago, but I'm I'm reading lots of stuff and trying to process it all. Um, everybody, get with your connection. Okay, then don't post about it anymore because I'm it's distracting me. Um, and, and I appreciate that you're wanting to hear this because I want you to hear it too. So it's all good. I'm not mad. But um, bottom line is. The serpent says, um, God, he speaks to God singular at that time. God says, um, God knows if you eat of this, you'll become like him. To which, and I've taught on this lots of times, Eve should have said, the right answer would have been, we already are like him. What are you talking about? That was, this is where the perception, because I believe the fall of man was a perception. It was a, it was a wrong perception that needed a paradigm shift. That's why we needed the placebo of the cross to give us that paradigm shift. But we already were, we were, we were only alienated from God in our minds, according to Paul's writing. And the creator says to Adam, who told you you were naked, okay? Meaning, this is, this reality is inside your head, Adam. It's not, this is not my reality, okay? And I've been teaching on this all the way back from Tale of Two Trees, and you know, that this, this idea is pervasive through all my teaching. But I saw something in it this week, and I was already thinking of this, and then, um, Francois Dutois, the guy that is the, he's the guy that produces the mirror translation that I love. That's, that's where I got the, uh, my I amness mirrored in you is your way, your truth, and your life. He posted something really powerful, and it's, I'm not going to get all into it because it gets very, um, uh, it's, it's probably too cerebral, too, uh, not cerebral, too scholastic. For, for me to get into it, but I will. I put, I shared it on my page earlier, but I will. Uh, I'll copy it and put it in the comments of this afterwards, so you'll see what I'm talking about. Okay. But um, the serpent says back to her. I don't know. There's there's back and forth between the serpent and Adam and Eve. Bottom line, this is what this is the conclusion they kindly finally come up with. Um, the serpent says, um, no, God just knows if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to be like him, knowing good from evil. Now, there's clearly a comma there. It's like, you'll be like him, comma, knowing good and evil. And... Um, when I used to read this, even as a kid, I would think, "What if, if if you're if you're thinking the conventional idea that Adam and Eve are the only people on the earth? What evil are they talking about? I mean, what what evil is there? I mean, they what can they do? That's you know, I don't understand. Where's the evil? That they're, they're gonna kill each other? There's like strip clubs in the Garden of Eden and and poker joints and." You know, drug at I mean, like, what, what is it? I don't know. What's the definition of evil? And um, so they they eat of the fruit, and then they have this paradigm shift. Suddenly, they're aware that they're naked. Okay. So um, that's when later in the chapter it says the Creator. Now it's speaking singular. It doesn't say the Elohim. It says it says one, one entity comes and walks with them in the cool of the day. Can't find them. Adam, where are you? So Adam finally says, "I hid from you because I was naked and I was afraid." And uh, the Creator says, "Well, who told you you were naked?" In other words, I I didn't say that. Where did that come from? That's not that's not my judgment on you. That's not my verdict. I I haven't I haven't declared that. Um, but because of that, this whole thing happens where now um, 
Adam's gonna have to work by the sweat of his brow, and Eve's gonna have pain in childbirth, and the serpent's gonna have to crawl in his belly, and all, you know all that. You're you're pretty you're probably familiar with that. This is what I. This was kind of a missing piece. As many years as I've taught on this, this was just, man, such an aha moment for me. And I was already thinking along these lines, and then I read uh, Dutois' uh, comment. I thought, yes, exactly. I know in my heart of hearts that's got to be right. Because at the end of the chapter, um, it's, it says that, they go back to plural again and the gods are speaking and the gods say now the man has become like one of us comma knowing good and evil therefore we must banish him from the garden lest he partake of the tree of life and live this way for the rest of you know live this way indefinitely and I've also, I know Linda up in Michigan's watching this. She has the original painting of this. Some of y'all have the uh, the print of it. Years ago, I painted an angel with a sword, and I used that verse of scripture because the angel was not keeping them out of the Garden of Eden. It says he was it was, he was guiding the way back to the Tree of Life. So what that says to me is the banishment from the garden was not punitive. They were not being punished. It was to protect them. Again, none of this is literal. You have to understand the, the metaphorical intent of this. And, and here's the bottom line. Um, Adam and Eve already were like God. They already were eternal. Uh, they had no sense of... Uh, anything being wrong with them even when it says they were naked and unashamed that's code for they didn't they had nothing to hide nothing to hide their life as far as as far as they were concerned was perfect they were perfect um, you know the reason you you don't want to unless you're just in great shape the reason you don't want to just run out on the beach in a bikini uh, immediately without walking, working out or whatever, white people getting a tan, it's because you don't feel good about the way you look. Adam and Eve had no concept. There's nothing. They, they can look at the, their naked bodies and go, it's all good. Everything's good. The garden's good. I'm good. You're good. My body's good. Your body's good. God's good. Everything's good. Then when they have this paradigm shift, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil now they're already like God but now they have the potential of seeing something wrong with themselves hear that I've never said that before in all these years I've taught on this the good and the evil that he's talking about was themselves as far as they were concerned before they partake partook of that tree the metaphor of that tree nothing was wrong with them they were absolute they were perfect they were they were right, and um, so when it says now they're they've become like God, it's not the eating of the tree that made them like God. He was saying now they're already like the gods, comma, but now they have the potential of thinking something's wrong with them. So because of that, I've got to protect them from the tree of life until they get this thing fixed that makes them think there's evil in them. And once that is fixed, then they have access uh, ac access to the tree of life, okay? Now, let me, let me explain to you what I mean by this. I know, it's good, I'm seeing the hearts come up. I'm telling you, I'm about to rock your world. Just hang on. Woo! All right. First Corinthians 13, I've taught on this a lot, the love chapter. Uh, Paul wraps up what we have as chapter 13 and he says <clears throat> uh, when I was a child I spake as a child I understood as a child and I thought as a child but when I became a man I put away childish things for it's like it's a continuation of a thought for now now the King James says for now we see through a glass darkly that's not what the original Greek says the, the, the King James says, 
When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put, a, put away childish things. For now, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Then shall I know, even as also I am known. Remember that phrase. What the Greek actually says, because at that time in history, mirrors weren't made out of glass. People used, they saw their reflection in brass. And the reason you polish the brass constantly is the more you polished it, the clearer your reflection would become, okay? So he says, this is what it really should say, or really does say. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. When I became an adult, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. All right. So when I go back to Genesis 3, now the man has become like one of us, already was, comma, knowing good and evil. Now, now you have the potential of a God with flaws. A God with, um, because the God created gods. The creator created creators. But now the creator thinks something possibly could be wrong with him or her. So now we've got to protect him from the tree of life. Because if he eats from the tree of life, that mindset will lock in and he'll think that for the rest of his life. For the rest of his life, he'll think something's wrong with him and he'll not be able to put away those childish things. So when he says, and I've taught on this before, now we see in a mirror dimly, we've we've talked about this. You know, that the more you look at yourself in the, the mirror of life, the mirror of the word, the mirror of... You know, all the metaphors for mirror. As as you progress, you begin to see in your reflection God. You like, oh, there I am. There I am back at the tree of life. Like the the paradigm of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil prevents you from being able to see a clear reflection. But the more you remove the idea of flaws and imperfections and sins and weaknesses, the more you remove those, suddenly you're no longer seeing to the paradigm of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now you're seeing God. Oh, I look like God. Because why? Because I am God. Not capital G, sovereign of the universe, creator of all things. But I came out of God. So, in the same way that scientists who study this say that we we're really all technically stars because in the Big Bang Theory we came out of uh, an explosion of stars so we're all made of stardust. It's the same concept. We're all stars. If you ever hear the song, the movie at the end of the, uh, the song at the end of the movie, Fame, and in time, and in time, we will all be stars. Sorry, I'm not, I'm off key. But it, that's what that's talking about, okay? Because we already are that. Let me give you the rest of these scriptures so I can explain, because this is very powerful, okay? First um, John chapter 3, he says, um, in verse 2, he says, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it, doesn't, and it does not yet appear. Now we see in a mirror dimly. Because we're looking through the paradigm of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The more we polish the mirror, the more we see ourselves through the tree of life. And there we are in a, in a perfect state. Um, beloved, now we, First John 3, 2. Beloved, now we the children of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Now, um, a lot of people have aimed really low on that verse of scripture, and they think that's talking about an event. I'm not here to argue with you. If that's what gives you peace, to think that that's what that verse is talking about, that that Jesus is going to come back and make you like him, that's fine. Namaste. You're, but I'm just telling you, that's not what that verse is saying. 
I mean, if, if, if it doesn't matter to you what the original language said, then, then make up your own theology and you will not be alone. But if it matters to you what the Apostle John actually said, when he said, when he appears, we shall be like him, he's not talking about an event. He's talking about the more I look into the mirror and remove the paradigm of the tree of life, the filter of the tree of life, I mean, uh, the filter of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and I'm able to see myself reflected through the tree of life, that's when he appears. When I see him, I see me. When I see me, I see him. Okay? Um, the appearance is a progressive thing. It's not an event. If you want to go stand on the Mount of Olives and wait for that thing to happen, Go, go for it, but I'm I'm just telling you, and I, I mean this in all humility. You're going to be standing there for the rest of your life. That's not what this. That's not what any of these verses have ever been about. I don't care who you heard teach on that. I'm just telling you this is what the original language says. So the appearance is a a steady progression of things. Okay, um, and it says. Now think about these two verses. I just mentioned to you 1 Corinthians 13, where he says, Now I know in part, but then shall I know, listen, even as also I am known. In other words, I think of myself in a particular way, but that's not necessarily how I'm known to God. That's not necessarily how I'm known to the Creator. I see myself as a victim of the, I'm saying in, in theory, I see myself as a victim of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Creator sees me through the paradigm of the tree of life. So now I know in part, now I know tree of knowledge of good and evil me, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. Then when? When we go fly away? No, it's, it's happening every day. You keep seeing little flashes of it. You keep seeing a little bit more of your divinity here, a little bit more of your divinity there. And suddenly you're putting away the childish things of thinking there's something wrong with you. And you realize, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm fine. I'm fine just as I, I can know myself the way God knows me, okay? So, now we know in part, we see through in, in a mirror dimly. Now we know in part, but then shall we know, even as also we are known. Okay? What does he say in 1 John 3, 2? Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, when we, when we can look in the mirror that Paul was talking about and see him in our reflection, we see her, it, in our, we can see God, we can see divinity in our reflection. Then we will know, even as also we are known. In other words, that's been the truth all along. Then, um, he goes, he goes on down, um, in first, in the third chapter of First John. And I'm, I'm, let me get all these scriptures said, and then I'm going to break it down in a very graphic way um, you read on through the chapter and he says a bunch of things I mean he's he says all kind of things in there but then he gets to uh, verse 21 no verse 20 this is first John 3:20 and he says if our heart condemns us God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. If our heart condemns us, God is still greater than our heart. In other words, even if you think you're fallen, God doesn't think you're fallen. Even if you think you're under some kind of curse, God, that's all in your head. That's, that's, your, that's your paradigm. That's not God's paradigm. When he appears, we shall see him as he is. In another place, John says, as he is, so are we in this world. So John's always trying to make this connection. You're God, God is you, I'm you. Like Everything is connected, okay? And the separation is all a perception. The separation is not real. The fall was not real. 
uh, it became real because perception is reality. All right. So um, he says, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. In other words, if you think you're being punished for something, something you did, that's what you think. That's not what God thinks. God is greater than your heart and knows all things. Now we know in part, but then shall we know even as also we are known as God already knows us. It's like uh, when John had his vision of the apocalypse, the, the revelation, in one place, and again, these are all uh, allegorical, these are all symbols. Uh, the, the, more, the deeper you go in the Holy Spirit, the less you will literalize the, the text. Um, but he says, when he went to, when he went into that realm, Paul called it the third heaven. It's another dimension. He says everyone had a white stone written with their real name on it. In other words, the the identity that you have here is not necessarily the identity of who God thinks you are. Okay? You're you're called by some other name, but that's not who God thought you were. Your your real name when you get to whatever the other side is you find that white stone and you look for it and you go oh that's my real name oh well that makes sense that feels more like me all this time i've been on earth i've been given an assumed name and an assumed identity and i've been spending my whole life trying to find out who i really am it's like sometimes a baby is born and given a name and then uh is given up for adoption and somebody else adopts the baby and they change the name so that the, 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 the birth parent knows them by a different name than the adoptive parent, okay? So dig this. I haven't gotten to the good part yet. It says, verse 21, if our heart does not condemn us, then do we have confidence before God. Adam, where are you? I don't know. I was naked and afraid. Who told you you were naked? If our heart condemn Adam's heart was condemning you. If our heart condemns us not, then we have confidence before God. And the result of that, verse 22, and we receive the things that we ask of him. We receive anything that we ask of Him. And you you find that theme in other places. Cast not away your confidence, for it has great recompense of reward. Joe Dispenza says, the universe is not responding to what you want as much as it's responding to who you are being. So, when he says, if our heart condemns us, if we think we're naked and afraid, God is still greater than our heart. God still says... Let's put them out of the garden until they can get this figured out. But let's put an angel there pointing a fiery uh, a, a flashlight to back to the tree of life because I want them to get back to that. I want them to understand who they are. And um, so when we look into the mirror, little by little, the real us is revealed. And when we look at the real us, it's not us, it's God. We came out of God. We reflect God. Um, and well I, I remember coming to this conclusion years ago because when I say I've been in the ministry 50 years I, I started preaching a little bit before my 14th birthday but I didn't really go into f like full time ministry until I was out of Bible college Okay, but I was always preaching all that time and even, even when I was in 8th grade I mean, I was in counseling appointments all the time. People called me at night. I was always praying for people. So I was always, I mean, I would once in a while, once in a while I would speak in a pulpit, but I was, I mean, I was always ministering on a street corner or in a martyr train or something. And one day it occurred to me, um, you know, I think the only reason people don't receive what they want from God is they don't think they're worthy. I don't think it's... I don't think it's even a matter of faith. I think they think they don't deserve it because they don't know who they are. Like, um, for those of you that were not raised in a traditional Pentecostal environment, you won't understand what this means. 
But in, Pentecost, in classical Pentecostalism, there was this idea that you had to, uh, you got saved and are born again, because back then they used to conflate those terms, even though they're meaning two different things. Um, and then at a certain point, you would get baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was very typical in uh, Pentecostal churches to hear somebody say, I've been seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit for 22 years. I just can't seem to receive it, which is nonsense because you already have it. You just have to realize it. You already have everything you need. You just haven't awakened to it yet. There's no... As long as you're waiting for events, I'm waiting for the coming of the Lord, I'm waiting to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're always living in the restraints of time. God doesn't live in time. God lives in the now. Everything is now. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and the children of God. And I would hear people say things like, I just think... I think I can't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit because I just have lust in my heart or sometimes I still cuss or sometimes I, I, I smoke. And people had all these ideas that God didn't care anything about, but they perceived it made them unworthy. So, so like the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues kind of became the litmus test that, oh, you must be holy enough for God to fill you with the Spirit. And I'm telling you, that's just not true. I know all kinds of people that have lived unbelievably undisciplined lives who spoke in tongues constantly. But that's the way people perceived it. They thought something was inferior about them, and that's what kept them from receiving. I'm assuming you're still seeing me because my screen has gone dark, but I'm just going to keep talking because I'm in the flow. Um, it's, it, must just, it must be heating up a little bit. Um, when you think about the um, the idea that Adam and Eve were naked, and they were not they were not afraid, they were not ashamed. Um, nakedness was um, symbolic of them feeling like they were okay. Um, now you think about when those of you that have children, when your baby's born. They don't know how to coexist with other people yet. They haven't learned. They haven't learned that there are other people in the world too. So a baby's needs come first. Like if you're, if you got a baby, uh, and they're hungry in the middle of the night or they're wet in the middle of the night, they don't. Uh, they don't wait for you to wake up in the morning to tell you. They scream right then to tell you, "I need my diaper changed. I'm hungry now." They never say, oh, you know what? I, I know you got to get up in a couple hours to go to work, but I'm, I am soaking wet here. If you, could just, if you could just quickly change me, I would appreciate it. Maybe you can go right back to sleep. No, babies don't do that. They just scream. And if they need to poop, they poop. And they just, they make eye contact with you while you're cleaning it up. Like, yeah, I did it. What? Like, they don't, they haven't learned. Like, now, think about at your age now. I know this is gross, but think about at, at your age now as an adult, if you had no control over your bodily functions. And if you said, some of you are like, well, you have no idea, Bishop. I'm, I'm wearing something right now, even as we speak. But if you've ever had a, an incident, an accident, it's humiliating. It's like, oh my God, I hope nobody saw that or smelled that or, you know, like, oh Jesus, I, I can never show my face again. And that's not the way babies think. Babies are like, I did it. What? And I'm not saying that's the way your the way your attitude should be, but I'm but the thing is, you have to when you start knowing that there's shame connected with going to the bathroom or being naked and and you start connecting nakedness with sexuality and uh, like you start you have to you don't know shame you're not born with shame you learn it it's imposed upon you things happen to you things are said to you that make you feel ashamed now i'm not i'm not advocating that everybody walks around naked and pees wherever they want to pee that's not what i'm saying i'm saying when you came into this world, as far as you thought, I mean, you had to learn to go to the bathroom yourself and clean yourself up and feed yourself. And you had to learn to be considerate of other people and that other people's needs also mattered. You had to learn that you're not the center of the universe. Those are all valid. 
What happened is, though, to nearly everybody on some level, there was something about you that you never thought was wrong. You thought you were just fine until somebody told you you weren't. Somebody got inside your head and planted the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now the creator looks at you and says, they're like God, comma, knowing good and evil. Like they, now they know or they have the idea that they could be flawed. It's kind of like um, in uh, the scripture that Jesus quotes in John 10 where he says, you are gods. He's quoting the Psalms where he says, I said you were gods, yet you will all die like men. Or even when I've taught about um, uh, the voice saying to Moses, you will be God to Pharaoh, but I'm not going to speak, fix your speech impediment. I'm going to let your brother speak for you. So there's this concept of flawed gods, gods that have speech impediments, gods that have feet of clay, that are still gods, okay? Even if they don't think they are, even if they don't know that they are, because they're looking in the mirror, seeing themselves through the filter of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So they have to be cast out of the garden until they can get their mind right, and when they have the paradigm shift, to understand that when he appears, we shall see him like he is, for we shall be like him. Then they see God, and they realize there's no separation. Now you think about this in your life. And I talked about, when did I talk about this? Friday night? It was a good teaching, deep teaching. I went long. I went long and I make no apology for it. I don't have any, like if you couldn't listen to it all in one setting, it, that was, it was necessary that I said it all that way. Um, but I was talking about certain things that were said to me when I was young that got inside my head and made me think, oh, maybe I'm not right. Maybe I'm not, maybe I need to hide this part of myself. But the more Christ was revealed in me, the more the day star arose in my heart, I realized, oh, I'm, I came out of God, I'm in God, I'm going back to God. There's that, what you think is wrong with me is not what's wrong with me. Like, in fact, there's nothing wrong with me. Now, hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you can just shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and expect everybody to be okay with it. That's, that's narcissism. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about knowing that you're still you're still growing into the tree of life. I mean, you can see yourself a little bit, but not fully. But the more you realize, I'm okay. God's not mad at me. Uh, like I had, um, and if he's watching today, I don't know that he watches. Nobody's going to know I'm talking about you, so don't be offended that I'm going to mention this. But somebody that I only know through Facebook um, some time back was diagnosed with a certain sickness and it was not HIV it was something else but this person said to me I know I shouldn't feel this way but do you think I'm sick like this because I'm gay and I said to them I'm not even gonna dignify this with an answer that's BS, you know it, I know it, don't ever say those words again. Uh, or don't say them to me. Because that's nonsense. Th those are those are things like, well, if that kid runs out, doesn't know anyth anything's wrong with their little chubby body until some kid calls them fatso. Little sissy kid runs out, thinks he's just fine until the other boys call him a fag. Uh, little black kid goes plays with a bunch of white kids, thinks they're everybody's just fine until somebody uses a racial epithet. I remember somebody that used to go to the church. I remember her telling an African American woman told me that her daughter, when she was little, was out playing with some white kids, and the kids they didn't say it in an insulting way. They just said something about her being black. She says, "You're black," and she said, "No, I'm not." And they said, "Yeah, you are." Like she had no concept, she, she just didn't realize there was any difference. So she goes in because, you know, when she looked at the amount of melanin in her skin, it was not literally black. I mean, it was, you know, a, a darker version of uh, the Caucasian kids. So she comes in and she says, Mom, the kids next door said we're black. We're not black, are we? And her mother said, yeah, baby, I thought you knew that. She, and she's, she had no idea. Like, 
when you hear, <laughs> I don't get involved in discussing these things, but when you hear people, white people are outraged that The Little Mermaid's gonna be played by a black girl. I'm like, really y'all? I mean, really, that that bothers you that much? You, you don't want little black girls to be able to see some representation and say, oh, maybe, maybe a black, maybe I could imagine a little black girl could be a pretty mermaid. No, that's wrong. That's not the way it is in the script. Come on now, white people. I mean, ha white people have had the starring roles in just about everything. So let somebody black have it for a minute or let somebody who doesn't have the same body type that you think should fit that person. Let them. I remember when she was, uh, I heard Megyn Kelly when she was still at Fox News one day, she's, she was doing this big speech about uh, political correctness, and she said, I'm just telling you, I'm not racist, but these people who are saying that Santa Claus is, is black, Santa Claus is not black, he's white. I wanted to go, oh, man, oh, sweetie. No, baby, Santa Claus isn't real. Santa Claus is a, he's a fictitious character. So if people want to imagine he's black, it doesn't matter. If you want a white Santa Claus, have a white Santa Claus. If you want a black Santa Claus, fine. It doesn't matter, because he's not real. And even if he was real, because there actually was a St. Nicholas, uh, if somebody wants to interpret him through a certain way, then that's fine too. It's like, just you need to, you need to settle down. So this is what I want to, so many things I want to say about this. I may even make this a, a two-parter. Uh, but this is the, of all the things I've said today, this is what I want you to get if you don't get anything else. It's 1 John 3, 22, 21 and 22. If our heart condemns us not. Now, in Hebrews 10, it says now we have confidence through the blood of Jesus. Which, okay, fair enough, yes. We used to sing that song. Father, we have confidence through the blood of Jesus. Like, that's fine. I, I have no argument with that song. Um, but what John is saying is, if our heart condemns us, God is God is greater in our heart than our heart because He knows all things. He knows who we really are. If our heart condemns us not, then we have confidence toward God. Jesus could die on the cross ten thousand times and shed a, a billion gallons of blood. If you don't have confidence in who you are, it's not going to help you at all. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. Um, so if you don't believe you're righteous, you're not righteous. And um, if you believe you're unholy, you're unholy. You are who you say you are. Whatever Adam called the Adam, the animals is what God called them. Whatever you call yourself, God's like, well, all right, that's not the way I see you. But if you want to go through life thinking you're less than or being punished than for something, go ahead. But that's not the way. That's not the way I think of it. Like I remember, this hasn't happened in years. But back in the day when the, when the church was really big, I would have people come to me many times and say, Bishop, I feel like we need to get something right. I feel like you've got something against me. And I would say, why do you think that? I don't know. It's just something I pick up. I think you're mad at me. I'm like, did I say something? No, it's just a vibe I pick up. And, you know, I'm not saying I haven't been mad at people before or upset with people, but nearly 10 times out of 10, when somebody would come to me with that, I'd be like, I swear I have no idea what you're talking about. This is this is completely imagined in your mind. I don't I don't know I don't know what I'm saying or doing that's interpret that you're interpreting that I'm disconnecting from you, but it's just not true. You're alienated from me in your mind, in your paradigm. So when he says if our heart condemns us not, then we have confidence for God, and then we get everything we ask of Him. You get the love that you deserve. You live the life that you think you deserve. You get the blessings that you think you deserve. And it doesn't mean that you think other people don't deserve it too. In fact, when you see somebody who's conceited and arrogant and acting superior to somebody else, that's out of their own insecurity. Listen, the, more, the healthier your self-esteem becomes, the more relaxed you are, the less, the less thin-skinned you are. Like, there's stuff that people said to me years ago that if they said now, I mean, honestly, it would be like water on a duck's back because I've put away those childish things. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with me. You can't, I'm not saying that 
I don't have things to work on or have personality issues that, like everybody does. I could always do better. But I also believe it's possible to be a masterpiece and a work in progress at the same time. So, like, if every one of you right now got on here and said, Dear Bishop Swilly, this is the last... This is the last time I'll ever listen to you teach. You are not of God. You are uh, you are a false prophet. You do not have the anointing. Good day, sir. It would it would make me really sad, but I wouldn't believe one of you. I mean, every one of you, I'd be like, wrong, 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 wrong. And I don't know that I could have said that 20 years ago. 20 years ago, if people said that to me, I would be like, geez, I don't know, am I? I don't feel that way now. I'm like, no, I see in the mirror clearly. I see myself through the tree of life. My heart does not condemn me before God. And therefore, whatever I ask, I receive of him. And if I don't receive it, it's because there's some branch of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that's still blooming in me somewhere. And that's when it's my responsibility to go within and find out, where's that coming from? What is what are you feeling insecure about that? I mean, un- until you get to the place that you can completely look at yourself in the reflection of life and say, yeah, all right, good, yay me. Until you get to that place, you're going to pray and pray and pray and pray, and you're never going to get any results. The, the God responds to the confidence of your heart more than the blood of Jesus. I know that sounds radical, but I'm just telling you that's what the scriptures say. Um, we believe we receive when we pray. Cast not away your confidence. It has great recompense of reward. If our heart condemns us not, then we have confidence for God. And whatever we ask, we receive of Him. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. You could just as easily say according to the confidence of our heart. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a comma right there. Um, and go read your comments. Um, if you believe in this ministry, go to bishinthenow.com. Give us some support if you need that for your uh, taxes and charitable donation. If you want to give to me directly, I have all the cash apps. The old PayPal works, the new PayPal works. I just log out of one into the other. Uh, thank you for those of you who do that. Remember, uh, LeBron's service is this Saturday, the 24th. Um, Chelsea Shag will be with us two weeks from today, October 2nd, and the um, uh, Meditation Weekend 16 is um, coming up October 29th and 30th. You're beautiful, you're flawless, you're wonderful, you're amazing, you're attractive, you're intelligent. Uh, Don't let anybody get inside your head and plant the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because you're going to get cast out of the garden if that happens. I want you to stay in the garden. Come back into the garden with me. The garden is beautiful. Welcome to the Garden of Eden. Welcome to the Tree of Life. I love you.